Welcome to the Wise Birth Radio. We are women, students, and mamas exploring healthy pregnancies, empowered birth, nurtured postpartum, and natural parenting from a holistic, intuitive, and grounded experience. We share knowledge through interviews, stories, and musings. We hope to inspire you to take charge of your childbearing journey for yourself and your family. This show is intended to spark your own curiosity and encourage you to listen to your body, your baby, and your intuition. I'm Mabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are your hosts on Wise Birth Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome back, or welcome for your first time, perhaps, to the Wise Birth Radio. I am your host, Mabel Coughlin, and I am in a little bit of a silly mood today. So we'll see how this episode goes. Um, I stayed up a little bit late last night, by which I mean until like 11.30, doing some work, which I never really do anymore. At some point in the past year or so, I decided that I was not going to do any work, especially not computer work, at night. Um, But I did last night, and this morning I was a little sleepy and a little silly. And here we are, podcasting. So it seems like my episodes often start with first a weather check-in, because that seems to be what's most relevant to me. Um, As usual, I am podcasting and walking. I'm here in my little podcast suit, which today and most days is barefoot and leggings and my gray Indie Birth Keep Birth Wild sweatshirt. Um, And I have Olin in the stroller. You might hear him. He might fall asleep. He might not. We'll see. Um, So what is new with me, with us? We have been potty training this week. We're sort of loosely following Andrea Olson's potty training book, which I forget what it's called. Um, But she's the elimination communication queen, the go diaper free lady. And she has a book on potty training for kids who are 18 months or older, which Olin now is. And we did sort of lazy EC for the first year and a half of his life. Sometimes we were really on it, sometimes we didn't do it for like months. Um, But I decided that I was just tired of diapers. So we are potty training, which means that we'll see how this walk goes. He might pee, he might poop, hopefully not. He's been pretty good with it, but yeah, that's where I've been coming from. Two or three pretty intensive days of just being present with him to learn about how he communicates and to teach him that pee goes in the potty. Um, The first day was definitely pretty challenging. I, like most people in this modern culture, are used to things moving pretty quickly and I'm used to doing multiple things at once and listening to a podcast while I watch Olin while I make dinner. And for a couple days I put my phone away and I tried not to do anything except the minimum of cooking to feed ourselves. Um, I didn't even do laundry, and the first day was rough. My body, my mind, my nervous system, whatever, was feeling sort of all over the place, like it couldn't settle down into the slowness that was being asked of it. So I kind of felt all day like, I'm supposed to be doing something, I'm forgetting something, something's not right. And it was definitely uncomfortable. Um, And the second day was a little easier. And the third day, I went out, which was yesterday, for some errands with Olin, which was great. He peed in the potty in the trunk of the car. It was very cute. Um, And I think that helped to alleviate my brain's feeling of 
oh my god, we're stuck in, what is this, like, baby, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like, moving through jello. Like, everything is just moving so slowly. Um, so yes, part of it is that I don't think mothers are designed to be alone with babies all day, doing nothing but that. And part of it, I'm realizing, and I already knew this, but this is just sort of illustrating it well for me. Um, part of it is that I need to work on slowing down so my nervous system can feel more accustomed to that. And I don't know a whole lot about nervous systems, but that feels accurate. So, potty training, weather, great weather, bugs, might rain, we'll see. Um, anything else is new with me? My mother is coming to visit, or is here to visit, which is always lovely. Alright, so, if you've li listened, if you have listened to this podcast for a while, you may have noticed a pattern that I only recently noticed, that often my episodes start with me reading the definition of something. I feel like it's easy, that's an easy start-off point for me to sort of get a, a base understanding and a mutual understanding with you all what the cultural narrative is or what sort of the mainstream view on whatever it is that I'm talking about is and then we can dive into the ways that I see things differently maybe. So today is no exception. Today we're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about um, rites of passage as it applies to the childbearing year, which I don't totally love that phrase, but I haven't found anything else that sort of encompasses it as neatly. So if you have any suggestions, please let me know. Otherwise, I will stick to that for now. So rite of passage. What does Google think it is? A ceremony or event marking an important stage in someone's life, especially puberty, marriage, birth, puberty, marriage, and death. Birth, puberty, marriage, and death. So that's what Google thinks a rite of passage is, and I don't disagree with that. But I am for sure going to expand on that, because if I wasn't planning to, this would be a very short episode. So, the idea that I'm going to discuss today about this sort of three-phase rite of passage and how it applies to the childbearing year was first um, explained to me by Kimberly Ann Johnson um, in the Mother Circle Facilitator Training, which I took in the earlier summer or spring of this year. And I'm excited to be offering a mother circle, hopefully this fall, locally. Um, but anyways, she put it into words for me, this concept. And as soon as she, as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh yeah. Like, of course, I knew this somewhere in my body, in my memory, in my blood, in my wherever it is. I know that this is true and this doesn't feel like new information for me, but I needed someone to put it into words so it could sort of be at like front and center of my consciousness. So I think when people think of a rite of passage, they think of this big pivotal event, often some kind of physical hardship or physical challenge is involved, or just physical changes, I suppose, in the case of puberty and death, which 
could be a hardship, could be a challenge, or it could just be a change. Anyways, it's this big transitional event where you're crossing between phases or stages or states, whatever it is that you're transitioning between. And it's this really important pinnacle focal point, possibly involving pain, possibly involving altered states of consciousness, but it's intense regardless. And yes, that is 100% part of a rite of passage in some form. But what I heard from Kimberly Ann Johnson, and I have looked at this before, I don't quite remember where this research is from, but someone or multiple people, or maybe it's just a general consensus in the rite of passage world, that um, rites of passage are comprised of three different distinct parts. And so this part that I was just talking about, this intensive transition phase, is the middle part of a rite of passage. So this is the actual moment of birth. This is labor and birth. This is maybe a woman getting her first period. This is when somebody's actually dying. Although I don't quite know how this applies to death all the way, but... Um, yeah, this is in cultures where they have created rites like this, rites of passage. This is the big moment where the boy goes out into the woods to see if he can get back or whatever it is. In the hero's journey, this is when the hero meets the monster or has to find his way out of the labyrinth, whatever it is. I think you know what I'm saying. So yes, this is birth. This is the middle part of a rite of passage. This is the liminal space where you're not what you were coming into it. And you're not quite what you're going to be on the other side. All right, I don't know why I started in the middle. Let's go back to the beginning. So the first stage is sort of an othering or a separation process. So this is the time when you are stepping out of your everyday life, your everyday activities, responsibilities, roles and relationships. And everyone around you and yourself recognizes that something is changing you are stepping out of the person, the place, the state that you were in and are getting ready to transition to something different. So for in culturally created rites of passage, this could look like, for example, in the book of Water and the Spirit by Maladoma Somme, which is a really great book. Um, he describes his experience of initiation. All right, baby tried to climb out of the stroller. Well, little boy tried to climb out of the stroller. And here we are again. So, this man, Maladoma Somme, describes his experience of a rite of passage, which is typically reserved for boys coming into manhood, but he had had a different sort of life path and was having this rite of passage as an adult. Um, so this first stage for him looked like all of the boys of the tribe being sent away somewhere else. They all went to the woods, I think, or outside of the tribe, outside of their day-to-day -day activities to begin preparing and as I said this is the beginning part of a rite of passage so this isn't separate from it but this is the initial stage. So how does this relate to the childbearing year? So one thing that Kimberly Ann Johnson talks about that I think is really, I think, I think this is really unique um, 
is that often pregnancy is thought of as a time of building, of growing, of connection, which yes, it totally is those things. And I think what's less talked about is that pregnancy is also a time of loss in a lot of ways. Not talking about losses and miscarriage, even if you have carry a healthy baby to term, there's, it's still a time of loss and in some ways of death. So what do I mean by this? Because people think of pregnant women and they just want to think of, you know, happy glowing women living their lives, running through fields, saying, oh my God, I'm having a baby, this is amazing. But the reality is there's a lot more to it and there's a lot that needs to be let go of. Um, this could be in your relationship, this could be in your own mindset, this could be in your schedule, your work, your energy levels, what you have committed to doing. It's all of the levels. And it seems obvious, that I say it now, like you can't have this transition to a new state without exiting the old state. You can't expect everything to just be the same as it always was until all of a sudden you're a mother. You have to allow the maiden self to die or if you're becoming a mother of more it's still a big transition and you have to let the old you go in a lot of ways um, so I have a theory that and I know this is true in my experience let me go back in my experience I had pretty uncomfortable I was um, yeah pretty unfortunate morning sickness in my first trimester um, and just feeling exhausted all the time and I know this is not uncommon and I know that science doesn't necessarily have a reason or an explanation for it for why morning sickness happens and I'm sure that someday we'll figure out on a physiological level what it is that's happening to our bodies that causes morning sickness and if it's avoidable or if it's an inevitable part of most pregnancies, yada yada. But for me at least, and I've heard similar thing echoed from many women on um, an energetic and emotional level and just in terms of what I could physically do day to day, I needed that sort of kick in the butt to say, whoa, 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 stop. You're not regular Mabel anymore. Things are different. And I think if I'd had just a blissful, energized, eating well sort of first trimester, I probably would have just continued on in the way that I had been going before pregnancy, which I'm not saying that was a bad direction, but it wasn't, it wasn't appropriate in a lot of ways for the transition that I was going through. And I didn't necessarily want to mentally acknowledge that. It's always been hard for me to say, to choose to do less, to do less work, to say, oh, I can't do that, can you help me? And so I didn't really want to acknowledge that pregnancy was slowing me down or was changing the way that I could function. So my body made me. It forced me to slow down. It forced me to sleep more. It forced me to stop working as much. And I'm glad that it happened in the first trimester because then I sort of had the next months to sort myself out and reorient myself in space and time. Um, I imagine that if I just continued as regular old Mabel, 
for the first, that's a phrase that I say that my partner laughs at me for, regular old. So if I'd continued as regular old Mabel for the second and third trimester, and maybe only realized that I was pregnant in some ways right before birth, it would have been a much more difficult transition. Super abrupt with no time for, just for allowing this rite of passage to unfold. So as much as this first trimester kind of just straight up sucked, I'm really glad that it happened the way that it did to send myself a really strong message that mostly it was on a physical level like, hey, your body can't do this right now and you need to just stop it. Just let go of any ideas that you had that you were going to just keep going and work this way until the end. Let go of the idea that you don't need to ask anyone for help. Let go of the idea that you can still be just as strong and independent and, uh, what's that word that people say they are? Low maintenance, as usual, because things are different. Things are going to be different forever from now on. And that was really hard for me to wrap my head around, to wrap my heart around in some ways. I think like many women, in this culture, we pride ourselves on saying, oh, I'm so strong, I don't need anybody's help. You know, I grew up with super feminist mother situations who would tell me to like beat my chest like I was a gorilla. And I prided myself on saying, I can work just as hard as you. I can carry heavy things. I don't need to get tired and I don't need help. And you can hear a little more about that process in my episode, which one was it? I think it was on asking for help in the postpartum time and why that's so tricky for many women. Um, I go into a little bit what that meant in my relationship, so I'm not going to do that again here. But basically, my theory is that oftentimes this first trimes trimester, I was about to combine the words trimester and necessary, trimessary, this first trimester is necessary for women to realize that they are separating from the life that they once had. They're separating from the group of, in quotes, normal people, by which I mean non-pregnant people. They are being othered. They are experiencing a death. They are being asked to let go of things. And this is a crucial part. I mean, obviously all three of these are crucial parts of a rite of passage, but it's not possible to almost got run over by a mailman, male person, male carrier. It is not possible to shift your identity, to step into a new role if you have had no time or not been able to or not allowed yourself to even contemplate shifting out of your old role. So this time of pregnancy is a time of othering, of separation, of death, and again, I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm not saying pre pregnancy just sucks and it's horrible and it's so hard and you just have to cry the whole time because you're mourning your old self. I think that this death, this separation can be done really joyfully. And it may not be easy or it may be easy. But I think that we need to re-examine, this is a whole other topic. We need to re-examine our, mm, what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think of the word. The emotions and the associations we attach 
with these words. These words that are more connected with crone energy, with death, with this dark cycle of the moon. That has all come to be seen as really negative, really scary, really hard. And I think it's a natural part of life that needs to be embraced and explored and acknowledged. Wow, it's an awfully busy day on our dead-end road. Just ran into the neighbor, stopped to have a little chat. Completely forgot where I was in this episode. But I feel like I was pretty much wrapping up this first phase of a rite of passage, which is pregnancy, which involves, which requires letting go of things. All right, next phase is this transition, this sort of liminal space, this often intense physical um, quest is the word that's coming to mind which is birth, which is labor and birth. So I talked about this a little at the beginning because I have no sense of structure and linear progression of speech today, but I will talk about it a little bit more now. So we've gone through this first process of separating ourselves from our old identity, from our old habits and patterns and old ways of relating to ourselves, to work, to our bodies, to our partners, to our families. To our friends. I mean, for a lot of people, especially if they're one of the first of their friends to have a kid, this is a huge shift in their relationships with their friends because everything is different. No matter how much someone tries to pretend it's not, it's going to be different once you have a baby and your friends do not. Anyways, second stage is this. I'm imagining like two cliffs that are close to each other, like a very skinny, very deep canyon. And so this second phase of a rite of passage is the stepping between these two. It's sort of bridging the gap in some ways until you can come fully onto the other side. Um, I was reading recently, this seems like a non sequitur, but I promise it's gonna tie in at some point. Sarah Buckley's article, blog post, little ebook thing on the ecstatic hormones of labor and birth and I love that she uses the word ecstatic because while I think mm, it can have connotations it does have connotations these days of ecstatic being happy and joyful and everything is great the reality is it means outside of the body in some ways ek outside stasis outside of the normal balance which is, in an ideal birth scenario, what birth is. It's not ecstatic necessarily that everyone has to be grinning ear from ear, ear to ear, the whole time they're in labor and like smiling and singing and orgasming. It might be difficult. It probably will be very difficult. But the nature of birth, the way that our bodies are designed to do it, the, as she says, the hormonal blueprint of birth, is for ecstasy, is for removing us from our normal states of consciousness into something outside of ourselves. And so at this point, this feels obvious, but how can you transition from one state to the other while staying within yourself? Does that make sense? Like there needs to be this moment of letting go of everything and being willing to jump before you can land on the other side. And in my mind, this amazing plan or design of birth, of the hormones of birth, f 
fully support that in saying, yes, you have this moment, you have this task to do, and in that you are graced with a moment of, not a moment. <clears throat> Thanks, bud. Part of an apple. Oh, it's a mushroom. Anyways, and in this moment you are, and in this task you are graced with a moment of ecstasy, of being allowed to see beyond yourself, to see outside of yourself, to let go of all of your constructs and ideas and thoughts and beliefs of who you are, so that you can just be purely, just be. You can be whatever it is that you are without the words, without the history, without the traumas, the fears, the whatever it is. And you can be, in some ways, like, And you can be your true core essence. You can leave behind all the stories of who you are, of who people think you are. And just, I don't know if this is gonna make sense, but in my mind, you're like jumping off this first cliff and in this moment of ecstatic birth, you're able to just, you are a bubble floating between, floating over the chasm in this stage. And this bubble is your soul essence. So anyways, that was getting a little, little into it. But a lot of cultures say that in this moment of birth... So there's this saying, I don't know if it's ever been attributed to anyone, but in the moment of birth, women go to the stars and retrieve the souls of their baby or something along the lines of that. And again, I feel like in order to be fully prepared and fully able to do that, to meet your baby's soul, whatever that means to you, whatever that looks like to you, to go to this different plane of existence, you need to have to be able to let go of yourself. You can't take your, you know, I couldn't take my normal Mabel patterns, habits, stories, who I think of myself and travel to another plane of existence to meet a totally pure soul of a baby that has not yet been born into a body. I need to leave that behind. And so that is why, well, that's part of the reason why, for me, this process of undisturbed birth, of allowing the birth hormones, the birth process to unfold the way that it is designed to, is so important. It's not just because then you have a better chance of birthing your baby without needing medical intervention or because then you have you know less of a chance of tearing or birth injuries it's on a spiritual level that this is all important to me because you need that space of ecstasy of otherworldliness of being outside of yourself in order to come back into yourself as a new person and in order to bring this baby back to yourself to your family to this plane Wow, so, rite of passage. This is an important part, this liminal space where you are in some ways nothing because you've let go of who you are and you're not yet stepped into who you are going to be. And this can be obviously with birth a really difficult physical process but also really scary emotionally 
to say for this time I don't know who I am I don't know what I am and just allow yourself to to be with that that's not an easy task and rites of passage I think by definition are not easy because there's something that comes along to change your life and to change the culture that you're living in and so to really rise to the challenge yeah I guess that's it it is a challenge it's not something that you know you can just sail on through so second stage of a rite of passage birth liminal transition space supported by the hormones of birth um, and if you want to know more about that I'm sure someday I'm going to have an episode on the hormones of birth. We also have our free workshop if you're local or you can go read and you can go read Sarah Buckley's article which is somewhere on her website. It's Sarah with an H J Buckley B U C K L E Y. All right. So into the third stage and this is the one that I feel most impassioned about and perhaps that feels mm, I was going to say feels the least understood but the first trimester one I think is also not well well understood so maybe the whole thing just needs to be talked about more in our current culture but the third stage of a rite of passage is the integration or perhaps reintegration you could say to be able to incorporate this huge experience this huge identity shift into your life, into your being, into your beliefs. And so this is the postpartum time. Um, there's no f time frame on this, like the birth, the second phase is, you know, it's a, within a short time frame, between a couple hours to a couple of days. It's not going to extend on and on, whereas I think this third phase, especially if it is not given the space and the support that it really needs to unfold properly can go on for a long time. And I mean, I feel it personally right now at 18 months postpartum, I'm still truly figuring out and reintegrating who am I now? What does my life look like? What does my role look like? What does it mean to be a mother? And I think some of these are questions that will follow you your whole motherhood journey and there may never be one solid answer to it because it's constantly shifting as your family is growing but there is this initial this initial frame of the postpartum time which is this third stage of a rite of passage so an essential component of this third stage is having support having witnessing support in your coming back. So this could be community, this could be family, this could be friends, but having people who are there to hold space and to listen to you tell your story and to be open to the new you that's coming back. Um, and I think that's really important because a lot of people might feel like they had support in their postpartum time, they had friends to talk to, but maybe they didn't have people who truly understood that they were returning as a different person and their stories needed to be heard as such and they needed space to to grow and to develop and to really deepen into who this new person is. 
Um, and that can be hard, especially if we have no awareness of this rite of passage sort of frame to, to know that our friend's having a baby and they're going to come back different and they need space to figure out who they are and what their life looks like. And we can't just assume that they're going to be the same old person that we have known and loved. So again, this can be sort of a, a death or a letting go for friends saying this person is not who we were friends with. And that doesn't mean that you have to let go of your friendships, but there needs to be space for growth and for change. So why is this so important? So the point of a rite of passage, I mean, I guess there's the physiological rites of passage, like the ones that are built into our bodies, like birth that I'm talking about here. And there's cultural rites of passage, which are created to, not to mimic these body rites of passage, but to follow that pattern that nature has created in our bodies, to mm, evolve the culture in a lot of ways. So when people go through these rites of passage, they go through these liminal states, they are open to things that they have never been open to before, through these intense states of whatever it is, hormones, birth, pain, challenge, physical endurance, physical suffering. And when they come back to their community, their tribe, their friends, their family, they are thought to be coming back with a message, with a gift. Um, so this reminds me of the story of Inanna, which we also tell in Mother Circle. And I'm going to make a podcast episode of that as well because I need to practice telling it. But she was a goddess, um, and the story is basically an underworld descent story. So she goes to the underworld, she hears the call, she goes in, it's not easy for her to let go of all of her stuff. She gets there, it's dark, it's difficult. This is a very rough summarization. Um, someone comes to help return her to the upper world. And on her way up, this, I've only heard in a couple versions of this story, but this was one of the points that I felt just seemed really beautiful and poignant to me. On her way up, so on her way down, she had to give up all of the things that she had with her, the clothing, the jewelry, the medicines, the weapons, whatever it was, she had to give those up to descend deeply into the underworld. And on the way up, she sees those things and she feels, I don't know, I don't think I'm supposed to take them. Those don't feel like they're mine anymore. And so she leaves them there. And in one version of the story that I heard, on the way up, she passes through all of the gates that she descended through. And at each gate, she's gifted this little handful of something. And it's very dark in the underworld, so she doesn't know what it is. But when she comes back to the upper world, she opens her hand and her hand is full of... I think this one story described them as jewels, but in my mind it seems so clear that they were seeds. That this returning to her world, to her realm, from this rite of passage underworld journey, she was returning with these gifts of seeds for her people. So this could look like many things. This could look like in a rite of passage, maybe it's designed for people to come back with visions for their communities. Um, like vision quests, for example, that's the whole purpose of it, is that people go through this intense experience to come back with visions, not like, oh, I'm supposed to do this with my life, and this is the next career move I make, but it's intended to bring back visions for the community, 
for the group, for the collective growth. So it's the same with these rite of passages of birth. Women are coming back with stories, whether it's from their actual birth experience or it's from the process of being so open to this cosmic energy that they are in birth and the early postpartum. I can't remember where I heard this. I'm trying to think, but I can't remember. Um, but someone was describing it as, in pregnancy, a woman is like a seed pod. So sort of an oval with pointy ends. I'm imagining like a pumpkin seed. That's the sort of shape of her energetic body. Um, and then in pregnancy, the middle, I mean, sorry, in birth, the top and the bottom open up. So then it's sort of an open hourglass shape. And so the top is open to collect all of this cosmic energy, and then the bottom is open to allow this baby out, basically, and to to bring down this really intense, whatever it is, visioning, wisdom, energy, knowledge, star, blah, blah, blah. I don't know all of the the new age spiritual terms, but I have a sense of this in my body and it feels really right, even if I don't necessarily have the words that feel true to me to describe it. But anyways, in birth, through, again, these ecstatic hormones, a woman's energetic field is completely open. And I felt that in my birth and I think that most women will. And I think that, like I said, the more undisturbed you are, the more that you will be able to experience this. But anyways, then in this postpartum time, it's a process of closing this hourglass back into a seed pod so this woman can be, again, self-contained. Because it's an amazing and beautiful and the word that's coming up is glorious moment to be open like this, but we can't walk around like that all the time. That would just not be functional. That's not the way that we're meant to be. So this postpartum third phase of integration is the process of closing this back up into a self-enclosed seed pod. So this can be a woman whole unto herself. Do you have anything to say, Olin? Yeah. What do you want to say? Yeah. Just yeah? Yeah. What do you think about this? Yeah, there's water. And as I record this podcast here with my son, I realize again, it's not whole. She's not closing back up into a seed pod. It's creating this new pod or circle of protective energy that's around her new family. So I feel like since birth, it's never been the same self-contained. I wonder what that shape is called, an oval with pointy ends. I'm sure there's a name for it. But anyways, I've never been... And I will never again be self-contained just within myself. I am now myself and I also contain my son. And that's really beautiful and special and part of why this rite of passage needs to happen so that you can reintegrate as not just yourself. And I think that's part of the hormonal design of birth is that you're going outside yourself so that you don't stay stuck in yourself if that makes sense like you need to learn now how to live for yourself and for somebody else and maybe if there was no middle part of this transition you just went from being pregnant and maybe separating 
maybe separating from your old identity into your new identity as a mother, there wouldn't be as much space for stepping into your new identity as more than just you. As making choices, as living, as spending time and energy for more than just you. So I don't know if this is making any sense, if this is mm, resonating with any of you, or if you are finding it in alignment with your own personal experience of becoming a mother, or maybe you're finding these good rumblings? Where is my brain today? <laughs> Ruminations. Um, to consider as you become a mother or become a mother of more. But I feel like there's something else I wanted to say about this. Oh, so this third part of the rite of passage, it is understood in traditional communities and that have rites of passage, intense rites of passage like this, and also by anthropologists that have studied rites of passage, that if this third phase of the rite of passage isn't properly supported, with this community care, community witnessing, space holding, and space for people to tell their stories, then this can lead to, in extreme cases, psychosis. Because imagine you go through this intense experience, you step away from what you are, you step into being nothing, being everything, being purely yourself, whatever it is that happens in this middle phase, and then you don't have the ground to return to, to remember or reconfigure who you are that could be extremely disorienting and again like in my funny little mental image of a bubble floating over <laughs> a giant chasm if you don't have the support to help you land this bubble you could just go floating up into the sky and disappear forever and that feels to me like the definition of psychosis like losing yourself losing yeah, losing yourself. Um, so does this perhaps sound familiar to postpartum? While many people may not have it as extreme as an official diagnosis of postpartum psychosis, there are so many postpartum mood disorders and just, just an epidemic of women not having the support and the maybe perhaps the know-how in themselves to come back, to return to their bodies, to return to their families in this new way to be able to reorient to this new design of their lives. So, knowing this about these three phases, particularly this last one, what can you as a pregnant or soon-to-be-pregnant person do about that? Like, how is this knowledge actionable, even though we don't have these cultural systems in place to support these different phases of the rite of passage. Um, I think, hopefully, that just having an awareness of this process, of the natural design of this process, can help you to align your choices in these various phases with the design of a rite of passage. Um, I know that for me, understanding this first part, this pregnancy part, will definitely and has already impacted the way that I plan to do my next pregnancy. Um, which is with much more spaciousness and time and, yeah, just really allowing myself to step outside of everyday life.
to embrace and begin the process of separating and othering myself. But again, this doesn't mean isolating myself. This doesn't mean losing all of my friends. Um, but it does take an effort. <coughs> but it does take effort to examine who do I think I am and what of that do I need to let go of in order to birth this child. Um, I think I, I know that I touched on this already for the second phase, understanding the physiology of birth and the ways that you can best support this physiology and these hormones to unfold and to allow you an ecstatic birth experience, which again doesn't mean it's always going to be pleasant or easy, but does mean that you'll be given the opportunity to step outside of yourself. Um, I think understanding the design of the body and what interrupts that is really important for making decisions and planning your birth and who's going to be there and where you're going to be and what the environment is going to be like so that you can best allow that to unfold. Um, what does that look like for me? It looks like finding a care provider, most likely a midwife or something along those lines, that I feel 100% confident is going to be able to support me in my birth the way that I want, which the way that I have imagined it with the second child and the way that I wanted it with the first is basically not being there, which sounds silly, but I want someone who's able to walk with me during pregnancy, support me, guide me, offer me resources, and then in birth, hold space from another room, basically. That's what I wished that I'd had with my first birth, and that's what I'm so next time, having more of a remembering and probably more conversations with my partner and with my birth team about this spiritual nature of birth, this energetic journey that I will be going on, will help me to remember in labor that this is not just pain. This is not just pushing a baby out of my pelvis. This is a much greater journey that requires its space and time to be acknowledged. Um, I think also the golden hour, it's called the hour or so after birth, is a really important time and again a time where you're super connected to whatever it is, to the cosmos, to divine, to source energy. And very, very few midwives, birth keepers, whatever, fully know how to protect that space. So in my own experience, again, you know, the midwife was there drying off the baby and listening to the heartbeat and people were talking to me and my mother came and was like kissing me and talking and crying and people were... It just felt, even at the time, I was like, this is too much. What I need right now is silence and no movement and no people except for my partner and this new... So what to do to acknowledge this moving through the rite of passage in the postpartum time. I feel like this is the least supported by our current culture and maybe the least understood, at least the, you know, you take time off for maternity leave, that's some semblance or um, like the, a masquerade of the separation and there's some understanding of this intensity of birth as sort of a transitional period, but 
this incorporation, this final stage of the rite of passage is the postpartum time, I think you need the most education around it. So I think first and foremost, I guess the most important thing to do is to create or to educate or to gather this supportive community or supportive group or supportive friends around you who understand or who, again, you might have to educate them on how to hold space for you to come back, how to hold space for you to, like I said, incorporate this experience. Um, You might have to tell people, hey, look, I'm going through this transition process and I need you to just be supportive of whoever I am at the moment, whatever feelings I'm feeling, whatever ways I feel I need to express myself, whatever processes I'm going through. It might be different than what you expected. It might be a little intense. And if you can just be there for me and hold space, that's what I really need. And listen to me. Listen to me tell my birth story. Because telling your birth story can be such an amazing grounding or integration of that process for yourself. And again, your birth story might change as you work through it, as you heal parts of it, or again, as you integrate parts of it. Um, obviously, the like physical support in this time, being fed, being able to rest, being, yeah, being fed, that's what I meant to say, being able to rest, um, um, ideally having body work or being able to do it for yourself, staying warm, um, that can be important. Again, with the word incorporate, to bring into your body, moving these processes these stories through your body is a really it's a deep practice because these aren't just emotional journeys I mean again it's on all levels and you're feeling these emotions wherever you feel emotions in your head in your heart but also these emotions are in your body Um, and so we talk about in Ayurveda how it's great to have a warm oil massage postpartum ideally every day And again, in traditional cultures, this is how it goes. It might be more difficult for us to arrange in our modern lifestyle. But you can even do it yourself. Just uh, give yourself these warm oil massage. And the word for oil in Sanskrit, I believe, is sneha. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Which means oil, but it also means love. And so you're doing these massages to physically move your lymph. Because ideally you're resting. You're not moving around that much. But it's also sort of encasing yourself or enveloping yourself in love, in this warm maternal energy as a way to take care of both your body and your spirit. Um, Something that I guess is a little bit of a different topic, but something I was just thinking of in terms of these three parts of a rite of passage is that we go through this in sort of a smaller way with our moon cycle, our menstrual cycle, and that the luteal phase, the time after you ovulate and before you bleed, is kind of a separation or a stepping away from things. Um, For many people, that can just be PMS, like (laughs) physically holding people at bay, like, I can't deal with this, I'm going to be mad at you, I'm going to be angry, I'm going to have a hard time socializing. But if you can be in a little bit more harmony with your cycle, you can intentionally step back in this time, be like, I understand that this is the fall season of my cycle, and I do plan to do another whole other episode on the cycles and the directions and the medicine wheel and the trimesters of pregnancy and how it all lines up. But for now, just real quick, this fall season, this luteal phase, is a time of stepping back, of 
letting go of things, of sort of starting to move internally. And then your bleed is the transition time. And in a lot of cultures, women are women go somewhere else for their moon, for their bleeding time, and it's not in like a, this is dirty and shameful and we need to hide you away, way, away, way. <laughs> and it's not even like, oh, you need to rest, get away from household chores, although that is part of it. They're intentionally going somewhere else and freeing themselves of the day-to-day tasks so that they can be open to receiving messages or visions for their whole community. So this is that transition time. This is that open place where you're going through a physical experience. And often these transitions, these, the second part of a rite of passage has something to do with blood or physical sacrifice. So you're sacrificing in some ways your blood to the earth, to the spirit, to whatever, to be open to these messages. And then an important part of that is coming back into yourself. How are you reintegrated into community? How are you reintegrated into your daily tasks? And how do you transmit these messages that you received when you were really open in a way that allows you to kind of complete this cycle, to close the loop, you could say. Um, so I'm going to be honest, I got interrupted in the middle of this episode and I don't totally remember where I left off, but I feel like I covered everything that I wanted to cover on these three rites of passage. This is something that I love talking about, and since hearing Kimberly and Johnson talk about it in our Mother Circle facilitator training, it just feels really important and really relevant in the work that I'm doing and in my life in general. It's come up so many times where I'm like, well, actually, did you know that a rite of passage consists of three parts and if not completed, yada yada. So I'm really happy to share it all with you, to share what I understand, um, what I'm learning. I hope it is helpful for you in your own journeys. Um, And if you want to learn more or if you want to be more in this energy and these really amazing conversations, I am hosting a mother circle here locally in New York. I don't know all of the exact details yet, but I can tell you that it's going to start in October towards the end of October, we're going to be taking a break from our regular monthly um, mother and prenatal circles to give Sarah sort of a maternity leave. Um, And instead, I will be hosting once an eight-week mother circle journey. So we're going to be meeting once a week for eight weeks for about an hour and a half, an hour and 15 minutes, probably in Kingston, I don't know what day of the week, I don't know what time, but you can find out more and get on the wait list at catskillsbirth.org slash mother circle. I told my partner the link last night and he was like, what do you mean I can't find it? So I learned from that that I have to be very clear, it's mother singular circle, not mother's circle. Um, Yeah, I'd love to see you there. This is really potent work that has been really impactful in my life and I'm excited to continue to see the the seeds that were planted by learning this information and going through this course and the way that that unfolds in my life going forwards. So we'd love to see you there if you are interested. Honestly, I feel like if you are interested, this work is for you. It's not, it's not just for a certain subset of people. It's meant to be kind of universal 
a universal arc because motherhood is so personal and it is also entirely universal. There are very specific archetypes and patterns and energies. Um, so if you want to explore that, please join me there. Um, and otherwise, I will see you... Well, I won't see you at all because I don't see you when you listen to my podcast, but you can hear me on our next episode of The Wise Birth Radio. Thanks for joining me.